Hello and welcome to Leviathan News. Today we have a special guest. We have Chris, the Global Expansion Lead for Conflux. This is a story that we covered on Friday of last week as Conflux uh, was the first CNY stablecoin to apply for a gauge on Curve. So, Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me here, Sam, CurveCap, and Rex. Yeah, super happy to be here. And I'm live in Hong Kong where there's a big, yeah, blockchain fest going on. That's great. Wonderful. So maybe you could give us a run through of what um, Conflux is and, and how it's actually regulated and what that means for being in Curve. Yes, absolutely. So I, I, I have to correct you there in the, in the beginning a bit because Conflux is actually a layer one network. It's a permissionless network. Um, so it's like, like Avalanche, like Ethereum, yeah. we are our own network. And CNHC is a stable coin that's based on the CNH, which is the offshore RMB, and that's also minted on top of Conflux. Um, I can talk about both a bit more in a bit, but I, maybe I'll start with Conflux. Yeah, so Com as mentioned, Conflux is a public blockchain. Um, we started off in 2018. We did a fundraise during the crypt, aka the crypto winter back then. And in 2020, on October 29th, we launched our mainnet. And since then, we have been running stable. Um, from a tech perspective, we've upgraded our POW-only consensus to a POW and POS hybrid consensus, which means that the POW network is still there to verify the transactions, but we have a POS layer on top, which then puts finality on top of these transactions. So just to, to, to make the network more secure from 51% long-range attacks, and that's something that was important to us because back then, when there was still POW mining for Ethereum and Bitcoin, um, they were way more lucrative than Conflux, and it was really hard for us to push up the hash rate. Now that there's less competition in that market, the hash rate has been going up, um, so it's more decentralized, it's more robust. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But Have still... you guys always been called Conflux, or did you? was there a name change between 2018 and now? No, we never had a name change. No, we had like a slogan change. Like the change was like where valuable bits and bytes are exchanged. And now it's, mm -hmm. yeah, blockchain without barriers. Interesting. So maybe you could walk us through the uh, CNY stablecoin and uh, how that's being ported over to Ethereum. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So CNHC, um, the, the company itself is a traditional company that has been doing international remittances um, throughout the years. And it's interesting to see they have around 80 employees and 60 of them are actually offline employees that walk around in EWU. EWU is the, the biggest trade hub for merchants all over the globe to buy stuff from China. And it sounds weird, but they have to do like <laughs> knock on people's doors and say, hey guys, we're here. We, you can accept CNH, you can accept crypto. And yeah, your settlement clearing will be shortened from two weeks to one day. And everyone from all over the world can place an order and you guys can send it out the next day or essentially on the same day. And they are clearing around 60 million US dollars worth of volume per day for international merchants from Brazil, from Colombia, from Africa, um, and so, so that is CNHC. And 
they, their, their assets are like Circle. They're also backed by Circle and KuCoin Ventures. So it's, an, it's a one-to-one peg and the assets are in the bank. Yeah. So, so that's how it works in a, in, a, in a shell. And then in the past two years, they have been working on the 2B side of their business. And now they want to get into DeFi. And we have been helping them out. And also we are pushing for them to also get listed on Curve in the future. Yeah. And for that, we obviously, like, Curve is, is the best choice when it comes to, to Forex on crypto, on, on, on any network. And we believe that with CNHC, we can push that market a step further because we know how much demand there is for that particular um, fiat, um, the, the offshore RMB, how many people in China or in Hong Kong actually want to accept that um, for faster settlements for their own business. And we believe that just recently, what, with what happened in Brazil, Brazil just announcing, okay, we'll do the settlements with China with our own fiats bypassing the US dollars. And so that's also a very great example of how real international settlements can be done on DeFi and hopefully on Curve. So one of, uh, at least the three of us here are, you know, super interested and invested in the Curve ecosystem from the DeFi native standpoint. And like we, um, you know, I don't want to speak for everyone here, but like we really start on chain and figure out where the tech is and kind of go from there. And I think what's like very compelling about Conflux and what you're doing is that you're starting from the real world use cases and why people might be interested in having all of these things for real business. Um, and so first of all, like kudos to you, like I call that the Lord's work, like making crypto relevant in real life. So thank you. But um, my question to you is like, why we have a lot of reasons why we love Curve and why we think it like is the beating heart of DeFi. But um, can you talk to us a little bit about like what you see when you see Curve and why you see this as like not only kind of a cool speculative DeFi project, but actually a core piece of the um, economy that we're trying to build? Yeah, absolutely. So I've, I've started using Curve back when Yarn just started with YFI, right? Um, and, and that's how I got in touch with Curve. And since then, yeah, I've only always been using Curve. I, I'm not a big holder or anything, um, but just when you, you, when you have larger volumes, just if it's like above $10,000, right? And you want to do it on a decentralized exchange, that's the way. Right. I don't want to pay slippage here and there. And I just want the best exchange rate, the safest place where I know I just, I, I can just do it without thinking my back. Oh, does it have an audit? Or is the exchange rate good? Will I be, yeah, sandwich or anything else? Um, so yeah, curve is, is the way to go for me. And I always think that, I, I mean, back in 2020 for me, it's like, okay, curve would be great for Forex back then already. And then you also had, and, and it's also the best place to have decentralized pairs with tripools on top of Curve, right? So then it's not just limited to two tokens or like a specific pair of two tokens, but you can have up to four tokens that are paired up in a decentralized fashion. And I think yeah. that's, and that's guess, great. No, yeah. yeah, definitely. That makes sense. And and in this construction, do you see, like, for example, this new deal between Brazil and China, 
Like, how do you see the actual entities interacting with Curve? Do you think that, like, the Brazilian traders are going to trade in via a Curve pool to the currency they need? Or is it more there's going to be these intermediary institutions that manage, like, the Curve uh, exchange and LPing? Or how do you see this playing out? I, I think in the long run, um, what I've... Uh, yeah, I think in the long run, you'll have both. Because Brazil and China have many crypto users, right? And many people can create new businesses out of this, right? To serve people, the, the, the real merchants who are not tax savvy, who just want to mm -hmm. pay as fast as possible. But then you also have people who have been using CNHC and crypto and DeFi for a while, so they can just do it themselves. Um, I think there are two... Uh, analogies that I'd like to use or, or put in as an example that this won't happen from one day to another. Um, the first one is actually how Bitcoin is used in Africa, right? Because the, the like, the, the bit, Bitcoin flow used for remittances in Africa is within the top five of the world, right? And there they have, I don't know, 56 countries. People, many of these people go to South Africa or, or Nigeria to work and then send money back home. And when they send it back home, they don't even know that they're using Bitcoin to send it back home. Mm -hmm. Right. They, they just don't know it. They just want to get it done. Mm -hmm. And I think mm -hmm. that's the, the ultimate way to go. Um, and then also when I look at real life payment scenarios, I always go back to China and because in 2013, WeChat started and you, you, you could pay with money. I could send you money and it just within the chat. And five years later in 2017, everyone is using WeChat. Like literally everyone, no one is walking around with cash. No one has a visa card. It's just, you, you scan here, you pay for it. You go to a market like in, in, in the deepest jungle anywhere where you have internet, you see someone with a sugar cane. Right? And you're like, oh, I really want to bite into the sugar cane. He'll just give you a QR code and you use your, you use that to pay it. But the whole process, the whole adoption took five to seven years. And that's with China having a top down approach. Right? But with crypto, it's rather a bottom up approach. Yeah. So maybe that will take a bit longer. But I truly believe when people notice the speeds, the safety, the decentralization, um, that people who actually need it, people within this niche, will adopt it faster than other people. Interesting. So there's a running joke that every year China bans Bitcoin and the markets <laughs> nuke. Is China just uh, approving regulatory uh, compliant DeFi protocols so they can ban them and we can get another price nuke soon? <laughs> I think that's yeah, China always bans it. But the thing is, <laughs> I, th I think I, I saw a chart somewhere that the CCP, China is the, I think, third or second largest Bitcoin holder in the world after Draper Dragon, mm -hmm. because they just, there were so many Ponzi's in China, right? Where they, they, they got busted and then China just took their Bitcoin. But so that they have a big bunch of Bitcoin sitting there and they don't know what to do with it. Yeah. And, yeah. but it, it was think, getting um... bad. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Oh yeah, just a few lightning round sort of questions for you. Do you um are you planning on bribing using VLCVX or other curve bribing techniques? Yes, absolutely. Interesting. I'm sure the uh, LPs be excited to hear that. Um, <laughs> why did you list against ETH? Out of curiosity. 
I think it's fundamental to use to to do a pair against ETH on the Ethereum mainnet. I mean, ETH is so yeah well used on any other chain, right? And if if we go back home with it, we want to get closer to the Ethereum community. If we do WBTC or or I don't know, Matic, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Awesome. That's great. Yeah. Thanks so much. We have a few other headlines, so I hope you stick around and uh, discuss them with us. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. So speaking about ex exchanges, uh, there was a double whammy to Sushi over the weekend. First, there was a response from Jared Gray to an SEC subpoena where he essentially said there could be a subpoena. I'm not going to say publicly if there is one. But if there is one, we're responding it to it with my law firm here. Uh, and we have also set up the uh, legal defense fund for Sushi if this thing actually exists, which was quite interesting. And then uh, the first comment <laughs> on this actual thing said, uh, rug pool, totally fake SEC case, no hard evidence a case is occurring, and Jared has a long history of being sketchy. You know, maybe hand yeah. wave, it goes away. Yeah. So generally when these things happen, neither the SEC nor the people being attacked by the SEC like to talk about it. It's kind of, uh, I think it's often made explicit that you're not supposed to comment on ongoing investigations. So it's probably a little bit of an attempt to play coy. Yes. And also it'll, they'll probably, I mean, there is no, there is no charges yet. Right. So, um, additionally, SushiSwap was hacked over the weekend with OX Sifu being white hacked for about 1.7 million ETH. At 100 ETH was uh, taken from him. Uh, and Jared came out and said that you should revoke all the chains. And uh, this was a problem with one of the contracts that re they released four days ago. So you only need to re revoke these specific sushi contracts, which we will list in the show notes, uh, if you had used sushi in the past four days. Yeah. Yeah, it's really sad to see yet another hack in DeFi. Um, the one encouraging thing is we are, if you look at the stats, trending below 2022 uh, in terms of total hacks so far. Um, so, uh, of course, it's a reminder that if you ever give approvals, uh, you should go through periodically and revoke them. Uh, there's, in fact, a bunch of services that you can use to just completely erase any, um, any approvals that you've given. Uh, you know, it might be the case that if you're actively trading with one or two protocols and you really trust them, uh, you might feel compelled to go with the default, which is usually two to the 256th, aka all of your money. Um, but yeah, just uh, on-chain is dangerous and uh, all, our blood is what continues to fuel progress, unfortunately. Stay safe out there. Uh, there's a couple of other stuff that's happening. D-Hedge governance confirms acquisition of Imstable, uh, which... Is pretty interesting, right? Because Imstable was planning on shutting down. I know there was a lot of drama in the Frax community uh, about lockups for their LPs. So it's nice to see that the project is going to be picked up and taken along. It's very reminiscent of what happened with the Tribe and Rari situation, um, or sorry, the Tribe and Face situation. And um, Garrett, you had one other one where there was uh, an acquisition. Which, which yeah, one was that? Yeah, Threshold Network uh, was New Cipher and Keep. Um, mm, but yeah. yeah, they uh, like to say it's slightly different because technically this is like one acquiring another as opposed to a merger uh, straighten up. But I guess we're getting down the uh, M&A well a little bit far there. Interesting. So uh, moving on to some more governance, there are several proposals live right now in the Arbitrum forums uh, about what is going to happen after this like failed vote that they have. Uh, there was a live vote that's happening right now. Actually, it's been 
it's been re-put up again. Uh, and it looks like it's going to be turned against. That's AIP 105. And that's returned 700 million ARB to the Dow and Treasury. And uh, yeah, and one of the biggest voters against this was Chainlink God. So if you had delegated to Chainlink God, thinking that he would be uh, voting uh, like in a certain way, he hasn't. But you still have time. Actually, no, the snapshot's been taken. Um, and this right now, there's 35 million to 22 million uh, against for AIP 105. And it looks to be there's a couple more AIPs coming out soon. So interested to see how this plays out. Absolutely. Yeah, they really stepped in it. Um, but they one of the conditions of the kind of, um, uh, let's say, like the agreement they reached with the users was that they were going to divide up the more controversial AIP into smaller parts and put them all out for community votes. So it's going to be a lot more red tape and a lot more governance. Uh, generally speaking, though, I still do find that um, Chainlink God is like one of the better actors in this space, right? We always see all these terrible hacks and all these terrible scams. Um, so it's so much better when we see people like Chainlink God who you can set your moral compass to and think that they're probably going to be doing a good job. Yeah, you know, we had him on we had him on Flywheel a while back, and you know, his his way of looking at things is very like very conservative and very. Uh, in-depth in, in the amount of time that he takes to, to look into these things. Uh, so a couple of other things that happened this week. DYDX is reportedly shuttering its services in Canada, uh, which is, I guess, they're going to be region blocking. You know, they're a, they run on Starkware. It's a, it's a decentralized system or application, but, you know, they can geo-block you, right? Um, also, uh, Trader Joe integrated with Layer 0 to launch Omnichain. Joe token, uh, which essentially means that this Joe token can go to different networks. I believe they're going to BSC is one of the first. Um, and a couple of other things that happen are, uh, let's see, New York sued KuCoin for failing to register with the state. Uh, and additionally, Paxos National Banking Charter expired. They may apply again. There's a lot of like regulatory stuff coming down the pipeline. It's uh yeah, I mean, I think we're all experiencing the uh, fruits of SBF and honestly going back before that's uh, labor, you know, and I think that the the reality is, is that people outside of this industry just saw our entire industry explode in front of our faces. And like, you don't just walk away from that, you know, like that is the responsibility, like that's in Washington, they consider their responsibility to do something when things go wrong. And so, like, it doesn't surprise me that we just see all this, like, nettling and fiddling and just doing stuff. But um, it's it's concerning that all the stuff that they're doing is, like, pretty harmful to our, our uh, industry. Yeah, yeah. <coughs> well, there are there is some good news. Uh, a couple of things launched recently. Uh, AVO, A-E-V-O, launched the first... Decentralized Options Exchange. Uh, interested to see how this one goes because it's a it's a custom EVM rollup on top of Ethereum, kind of like DYDX uh, that handles on-chain settlements and an off-chain order book. And so maybe we'll have a, a more robust options market to, to play with coming soon. Uh, it would be great to have something like uh, uh, actual ETH and, and BTC options that you can trade. Mm. Yeah. Great timing for the week of the Shanghai Chappelle release too. Exactly, exactly. Uh, additionally, there was uh, some great stuff that we have in our show notes uh, about the NeoSwap uh, trading engine, which has gone live. Also about how to use Delta Neutral Pindle strategies uh, for the Shanghai upgrade 
uh, and then some other macro stuff that happened over the weekend. Um, so that's going to wrap it up for today. I want to thank Chris for coming on to the show again. Uh, and I am joined by my esteemed colleagues, Rex and Garrett. Actually, Chris, where can people find you? Uh, you guys can find me on Twitter. It's at Bambalados, B-A-B-A-L-A-D-O-S. Um, or just email me at Christian at confluxnetwork.org. Perfect. Well, you know where to find the rest of us. We will see you again tomorrow for another edition of Leviathan News. I'm Samuel McCullough. This is April 10th. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks, guys. Thank you Have all. a great day. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining. <laughs>